Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, where successful San Diego leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership, a process that unlocks the full potential of your company by solving the problems that are impacting your growth. I want to thank our sponsors, the Collaborative Community of San Diego Business Organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, and Be Local San Diego. We're all focused on supporting this next generation of leader. Welcome to the show. Leading with heart. What exactly does that mean in the world of business? One of the most iconic brands in San Diego, it means, in all we do, let us be generous, fair and loving to Spaceship Earth and its inhabitants. That company, my friends, is Dr. Bronner's. And today in the studio, we're going to get the backstory of Dr. Bronner's from Kevin Lee, who heads up the Environmental Health and Sustainability Team. Kevin, welcome. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's an honor to be here and to be able to talk about Dr. Bronner's, especially as we enter our 75th year. 75 years. Nice. How many people can make that claim? Well, I hope a lot more companies out there can make that claim. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. So I was telling my wife this morning that I was having this interview and talking with you today. And uh, oh, by the way, she's been a customer for 20 years. But she was telling me how you guys donate the soap for the shower service that comes to her her facility where she has like a homeless uh, day center thing. She says, when they're there, everything smells like lavender for the whole day. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that was pretty cool. That's really wonderful. I hear that Meghan Markle uses the lavender scent as well. They're all getting the princess treatment. The princess treatment. Love that. Well, I'm very excited to explore this with you today and learn a little bit more about, uh, you know, leading with heart and what all in means and the six cosmic principles. Sounds like you guys are having some fun over there. What I'd like to do is start with you. We'll have to have the audience understand a little about who you are, a little bit of your background and how you ended up at the Dr. Bronner's and you know, a little bit of what your role is in the company. Maybe share a few of the defining moments in your career and who are, who's Kevin Lee? Of course. Well, again, thank you so much. I would say my environmental career started as a kid. I watched An Inconvenient Truth in eighth grade. It was my first exposure to any kind of environmental topics and the topic around climate change. Didn't think much about it afterwards, but volunteer at film festival, environmental film festivals, and it was always sort of at the back of my mind. And then I went to college, wanted to major in biology, had this real interest in understanding ecology and evolution, really wanted to follow that pathway of research. And so almost committed to a full-time PhD graduate program. But before I even committed, had to do a little bit of self-reflection and realized that uh, a part of me wanted to do more on the ground environmental organizing. When I was in college, I took a course on ecosystems. And of course, it still had that research component. But my professor at that time really pushed the class to think about how do we communicate science? How do we translate science and research into meaningful communications for decision makers? We have a lot of good research out there 
that tells us we need to. We know the answers. We know the answers. Exactly. We know the issues. Know them. That's the problem. But how do we motivate people? And that really stuck with me. And so as as I was going through this journey and trying to determine where I wanted to go, I realized I wanted to sit at that intersection where I got to communicate the science that I knew and communicate it in a way that would entice decision makers, policymakers to make meaningful decisions. And wow. so that's a wonderful story because I think often we go off to school, exactly. end up in some sort of degree path for whatever crazy reason. Then we come out and we still don't know who we want to be. So it's wonderful when you go to school and actually have some, Oh, wait a minute. Dude, the professor actually kind of turning the light bulb on for you to go, Oh, I didn't know we could do that with science, right? Exactly. Which, you know, we had uh, another guest in here just recently, uh, Dr. Steve uh, Mayfield from UCSD, who was a biologist. And mm. all of a sudden the lights went on for him. Like, what if we made products instead of writing papers about it? Right. And he now has this completely uh, biodegradable tennis shoe that they make, right? Oh, wow. So actually taking science and turn it. So, and, that, and trying to be that professor to his students to say, hey, look at the world in a little different way. So yeah. that's, that's often, awesome. Exactly, coming. yeah. Schooling didn't end there, though, after that realization. And that was because I realized that I didn't have a lot of environmental organizing experience. Had done a bit of organizing through school clubs on campus in in my undergrad campus at Vassar College, but wanted to get more experience. And so I, I did a graduate program at Yale at their School of the Environment. And that was really hands on training and how to be. Uh, in spaces, making decisions and applying science to decision making. So, so I almost Vassar, Yale. Did you have a little something to do with Harvard as well? That's <laughs> pretty, pretty impressive, Kevin. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! We're we're rivals with Harvard, so I could never, okay. I could never go there. I, I saw something <laughs> in your LinkedIn profile that said Harvard. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I, I did take some online courses. Okay. That was yeah. meaningful to get some business perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're no. not part of that family, right? No, Let's no not, way. No, no mistakes about no. that. Okay, fair enough. No, they're a fine institution. Yeah, after my graduate program, I went back home to San Francisco, where that's my hometown, and I worked for the Department of Environment there uh, for about a year and a half with the Green Business Program there. So applying what I did learn in grad school to public sector agency as part of that team, I got to go to small, medium-sized businesses throughout San Francisco. About over 90% of businesses in California, it's closer to like 95%, are small, medium-sized businesses. And that means there's a real opportunity to engage business owners and their teams to think about environmental change. And that's exactly what I got to do at the Department of Environment um, working with these business owners and managers to green their operations. And what I heard from these business owners would, I heard a lot of these stories would be that they would implement these practices that we would recommend. It was a free program, by the way, um, offered by the city and county of San Francisco. So uh, there was all incentive to do this, to be better stewards for the environment for the business owners. And, you know, once they implemented these changes, they would learn a lot from these new practices that they picked up at work and they would share them with their family and friends at home. And that was a little bit of a domino effect. here, Exactly. And that was a realization that we can do a lot through 
our workplaces. And it is the power of business, right? Exactly. I mean, we spend the majority of our waking hours here and everything from how satisfied you are with the job and everything else translates into your home life. Exactly. You know? and, and like you said, in this case, some of the practices were like, oh, this is good stuff. Let's, let's you know, take this to the home front. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so that made me think, what are other ways I can be an environmental activist in the business world? And so someone forwarded me an opening with Dr. Bronner's, an amazing brand, of course, that, you know, if you're in this space, you know about uh, the OG hippie company. And I, I had to jump on it. And so I, I joined the company four years ago been an amazing journey being able to as ad- advertised as advertised and more <laughs> nice i love that um so at dr Bronner's, i track our environmental footprint i do a bit of compliance sustainably strategy strategizing so they're really kind of associated with kind of the manufacturing processes is that kind of where your focus is and making of the product and what does that mean or operations okay, all, all operations yeah okay. exactly um but one of the greatest pleasures of my work at Dr. Bronner's is around employee engagement. So taking the lessons I learned from the green business program at the Department of Environment in San Francisco and thinking about how we can engage our own employees in our community through that work. And so one of the things I get to do is co-chair a green team of 20 to 25 staff members at Dr. Bronner's from 15 departments. And we get to, of course, work on projects that um, green our operations. Um, but we also get to use that space as, uh, for environmental learning for the employees. You know, we have some folks who are OG hippies and have been caring about the environment since they were really young, but we also have a lot of employees who haven't even thought about the environment but wanted to start dabbling in that. And, and so they joined the green team and we get to do that. This year is a big big organization, right? You hire people to fill some needs or whatever, and then you, you bring people in. It's like, okay, exactly. <laughs> here's who we are. And you start to educate. And So that, that, that's been my journey and um, wanted to share all that because I think back to An Inconvenient Truth, um, the film that I watched in eighth grade in middle school and that sparked something in me. And uh, I get to do that uh, with employees at Dr. Bronner's. Um, So I said, you know, Green Team is a space for environmental learning and of course working on projects, but we get to have presentations and conversations about environmental topics. And my hope is that the employees at Dr. Bronner's will be able to take those lessons home and into their own communities and grow the movement. So, so talk a little bit about Dr. Bronner. So, Celebrating 75 years, so multi-generational company. And then uh, I noticed that, that that's kind of, I guess, the U.S. version that it's like the company actually started in Germany 165 years ago, 175 exactly. years ago. Tell us a little bit about the Dr. Bronner's. Of course. Well, Dr. Bronner's, as we know it today, um, started in the United States 75 years ago by Emanuel Bronner. He gave himself the title doctor. But Emanuel Bronner came from a family of soap makers in Germany, and the Bronner family, um, they're actually full, their full name was Heil Bronner, and they eventually dropped the Heil when the Nazis came to power. Uh, the Bronner family, the Heil Bronner family, started making soaps 165 years ago. And eventually, Emanuel Bronner moved to the United States, to Wisconsin, to learn modern soap making. That's the hub? Exactly. Back then, yeah. <laughs> the 19- I thought they were just cheese. I don't know. <laughs> cheese, cheese and soaps. And soaps. <laughs> yeah. And the, I, he, 
he came to the United States in the 1920s, I believe. And so he did learn modern soap making. And of course, at that time, the Nazis were coming to power in Germany. And so he tried to convince his parents, his family to move out of Germany um, to the United States. And they didn't heed his warnings. And they unfortunately did die in the Holocaust. Oh, no. Of course, that had a profound impact on a sad one on Emanuel Bronner. But with that, he came to realize that there was an opportunity to preach about how everyone's interconnected and that we needed to care for each other as humans and also for our planets, this idea of all one love. Ah, okay. We, That's we, for the all, okay. Exactly. And we nice. still uh, share that mantra to this day. Yeah, that was in the 1930s, 1940s. Um, he felt it was important to share that message. And so he would go to public squares around the country and preach about all one love. And people thought he was crazy. You know, who, who's preaching even, about even, love even back pre then? Even preaching that today, people are like, well, wait, wait, that's not capitalism. Exactly. <laughs> so I can imagine back then. Yes. People thought he was crazy to the point where they committed him to a mental institution just outside of Chicago. And, and he tried to escape three times and he escaped on his third uh, attempt and made it to Los Angeles. Uh, and he started to get up on his soapbox, literal soapbox in Pershing Square in, in Los Angeles. He would preach about all one love and all one connectivity. And of course, people still thought he was crazy and would walk by him. And so what did he do? He would use his soap making skills and hand out free soaps and people would come take the soaps, and of course leave. But I had to hear the message along the way, right? That's a hope. <laughs> That's um, hope. But he had a more brilliant idea, and that was to, you know, if he, he realized that if people were coming to take his soaps, then perhaps he should print his teachings and preachings on the labels, mm. and that's exactly what he did. Okay. And so people would take the free soaps and bring that message of all one love home into their showers we keep that legacy today. And I like to share that story every time someone asks about Dr. Bronner's the company because it shows that at our core, we've been an activist company in our 75-year history. And, you know, for the longest time, we were considered a religious organization where we were classified um, mm. as a, a religious organization. And then in the 1990s, the IRS said, no, you can't <laughs> designate yourself as a religious organization. You are actually selling products. And so... Uh, we had to change our status in the in the 90s and it almost left us bankrupt. But the current CFO, Trudy Bronner, uh, got us out of that and, and we're doing strong, of course. But we still share that message of all one love. Um, we use our products, our packaging to share the story of connectivity and, and how we're all connected in the cosmos and need to care for each other. That's a really, really great story. And we kind of open this up so we can provide the backstory. That is the backstory. Yeah, Where is. something that was kind of tragic, right, that occurred, made, you know, that's the good side. The, yeah. the unintended consequence, right? Exactly. <laughs> All of a sudden, something really amazing came out of that. And then he went on to lead this organization and take you guys where we are today. Yes. That, thanks for sharing that. Of course. That, that, that doesn't really show up on the on the website when I read that. I didn't quite capture that whole background of that. So thanks, thanks for sharing, of Kevin. Of course. You know, I get to share that story a lot. And every time I share that story or hear the story told by someone else at the company, I, I am left inspired. It reminds me why 
I'm at Dr. Bronner's because I strongly believe in that mission. And I think a lot of other employees at Dr. Bronner's really resonate with that story and, and the need to share love wherever we go. Well, again, it also demonstrates the influence of business. Exactly. Business is just a huge platform for doing things beyond just making a product or a service and then making some money that you can actually use this for some other good. And whatever that other good might be is a great opportunity, which is kind of what this whole podcast is sort of based on the principles of conscious capitalism. That is the higher purpose of an organization. That's right. So you guys are definitely a cornerstone for that in our community here in San Diego. Yes. So what's it look like uh, working at Dr. Bronner? So you've been there for a while. How do you, how do you, and you're, you're talking about employee engagement. How do you keep this alive? We're 75 years in, what, what kinds of things do you do to maintain that level of inspiration for everybody that you're hoping to dominoes out into the world? How, how do you make that happen? Yeah, well, I think it starts with um, that all one mission that we have. And to support that all one mission, we have what we call the six cosmic principles. And those are to work hard and grow. So we believe that every employee um, can do whatever they can as long as they put their mind to it. Now, do you foster that in some fashion? Like some of the work I do at Jailbreak Leadership where I come into companies, part of what we're trying to do is can we help you as an employee really understand your best self. So we do like things like strength finders, uh, personal purpose and values at a personal level. So you can show up, all right, I, I get who I am. And then how do we connect that to the business? So do you guys do some things along that lines to help employees actually really step up into you know, their best selves? Yeah, the company has continues to, to invest in employees through a lot of benefits and of course, professional development. That's been my experience, personal experience at Dr. Bronner's. That is connected to our third cosmic principle, which okay. is to treat employees like family. You go into the office and the manufacturing floors and everyone treats each other with respect. It's a very diverse company uh, with very different perspectives, but I think everyone, again, resonates with this idea of all one love how we're all interconnected and we have the same goals to make the world a better place. And I, I, I think because of that, we can come in with respect for each other. Do you make that part of the hiring process? Do you have a way of kind of flushing out what kinds of people are a good fit for Dr. Browner's from the, or the cultural perspective? Are you, do you do certain things? That I will leave that to the HR department to <laughs> answer, but I know that. I get you in trouble. Right? Yeah. But I know a lot of, um, hiring managers like to ask, um, what is your version of all one mean? And almost everyone has a different response, sure. but still similar in essence. And, and so I think we're able to Just make it your own. Exactly. Right? I mean, it's probably, probably the idea of something like that. So I kind of took you offline here. So we have, uh, work hard. So what, what's your number two, uh, Cosmic, was it cosmic principle? <laughs> yes, do right by our customers, which means that we're providing the best quality products to our customers. And we believe we are. Our peppermint Castile soap was our most original product, um, but all of our products are high quality. Uh, most of them are organic, fair trade. And then we hold 14 plus certifications. Our customers deserve safe and healthy products. And so, we do write by our customers that way. So that's the second cosmic principle. So you're a B Corp, right? Exactly. Yeah, right. We so, are a B Corp. so the B Local folks are part of uh, the podcast as well. 
naturally San Diego. Uh, we had Kirsten in here the yes. other day. So I'm trying to recruit her to be that organization, be part of it. So again, that's how you guys are out. You're associated with these organizations that are out trying to do this kind of work in, in San Diego. So that's good stuff. Exactly. Yes. So besides just trying to make a good product, I mean, you can make a good product, but also leave a bad footprint back to the kind of the B Corp ideas, like yeah. from start to finish all the way through, we're looking at this and measuring things and saying, how do we ensure that we're doing kind of the best we could, not just making something dysfunctional as a product, but actually doing the least amount of harm maybe to the, to the environment as well. Yes, exactly. Well, you brought some chocolate, Kevin. I've never had uh, the, the chocolate, so we'll find out. I'll, I'll weigh in a little later. I hope so, you enjoy it. I'm sure I will. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. So number three was employees. Uh, you, t- you touched on that a little bit. What else happens to help enhance sort of that feeling of family? What, what are the kinds of things you guys do internally? Of course, just some things that are a little bit more tangible include 100% paid health care, free vegan lunches every day, and I would say fair pay as well is is a big part of it. Fair pay is actually, I think, connected with almost all the other cosmic principles, but the company leaders have voluntarily capped their pay at no more five times the lowest paid full-time employee. I think that's- Kevin, this is, this is unheard of. What, what's, unheard what's, of, what's, exactly. What's going on over there? I mean, you're hearing numbers like a hundred times, right? Exactly. Some of the banks and some of the other corporations in our country and exactly. to actually stand up and go, wait a minute be realistic about what my pay should be. Exactly. And that means that the company can invest in in its own employees, the benefits, the health benefits, and I mentioned the free vegan lunches. And we have a whole bunch of other programming for employees to stay engaged at work, like Zumba classes and reimburse massages. Uh, But those are little things compared to the fair pay. And um, it also means that the company can invest into our suppliers, um, that's our f- um, fourth cosmic principle, being fair to our suppliers. We very much believe in fair trade, and that means sticking with our suppliers that we've known for many, many years for our raw materials. And even if we work with suppliers that aren't certified fair trade, it means we value the relationships that we've had with them over many years. And we can bring them along the journey of this idea of all one connectivity, oh, and nice. our all one mission, right? We so, don't so that kind of goes back to the conscious capitalism idea of exactly. uh, stakeholders versus just a shareholder. I'm assuming it's sort of that feeling again. It's like if our if our mantra is we're family, yes. then obviously suppliers would be family. Exactly. Crit- any critical vendor would be just like the customer would be family. So you just have that mindset of how you want to treat people, how you want to work with people, how you make decisions. Exactly. I would even have to assume back when you're sitting down talking about, okay, here's our contract for the next six months or year or whatever, you know, what's right, what's fair exactly. versus, oh, I, I think I can work these guys for another whatever. That's not what you would do if you're saying this is family, right? Yes. You'd want them to see, be successful and be able to do what they need to do as well. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, of course, being a fair trade company means there are challenges along the line. Uh, sometimes when working with suppliers uh, that don't meet the, the demands that we need in a specific given moment, but doesn't mean that we just drop them. We, we get to work with them and troubleshoot and figure out how we can uh, get them up to the standards that we need while also treating them fairly. Is that part of what you get to do in your role or is that uh, a different part of the, the business? I would say that 
part of the company is um, something that our special ops team um, handles more. There are on the ground team, literally a team um, that works with farmers all around the world. And it's a team that lives all around the world. And, and they work with our suppliers in, for example, Ghana to Sri Lanka. They were a vertically integrated company. Um, and so they work with those farmers and help. So you have people on the ground exactly. in the regions that are supplying. Wow. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's what it takes. So to, that's an expense, right? Exactly. The most companies, they're not going to do that. Exactly. But that's how you're helping in those countries where often people get taken advantage of saying, exactly. no, that's not how we're going to operate here. Yes. And we're here to help develop you guys and be able to produce the products and make the money. And Of course. Yes. Are you hiring over there? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this is sounding really great. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, on that note, it's, you know, the companies that we've helped set up around the world, these farms, they are invested also in investing in their own communities and workforce development in, in those communities in order to create a sustainable, I guess, supply chain. You know, we can't just go in there and set things up and and then leave. We right. have to make sure that we have systems set up so that uh, these ideas of fair trade and organic are also being spread in those communities. So it's almost like there's a gazillion little Dr. Bronner's sprouted all over <laughs> exactly. the right? I mean, that's the idea. Here's yes. this philosophy. Here's how you do it. Exactly. And you're the, that's the kinds of people we want to work with, but we're going to come in and help you establish that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. really it's it's incredible. It truly is. Yeah. I can see how you, why you got excited. So, man, I got to go work for these guys. Yes. So on the next one here is our earth. Of course. Treat the earth like home. I mean, that's the, the cosmic principle I quote all the time. Um, of course, in order to treat everyone else the way they want to be treated and to create a beautiful home for um, all those in our family, we need to make sure, of course, that our planet is protected first and foremost. And so that looks like, of course, rolling out our organic programs along our supply chains. And of course, again, that's really the special ops team doing that with our supply chains on the ground. But it also extends to empowering our employees. As I mentioned, there's a lot of employee engagement around our green team. Uh, we do a company-wide Earth Week celebration every April where we introduce everyone to environmental challenges and topics that people can care about to hands-on demonstrations on ways they can green their own lives. Uh, so that's an opportunity to empower folks. We also have a dumpster dive every year where we literally get into the dumpsters and see Wait a <laughs> how we're sorting. How, how are we, are we recycling well, or do we have improvements to do? And of course, it's a way to collect data and track our environmental footprint, but it's also a learning opportunity for the employees too, those who come dive with us. Right. Wow. Okay. Hands on. Exactly. And the last the number six was is uh, our community. Exactly. That's to fund and fight for what's right. So there's a lot of conversations today about the efficacy of capitalism. I'm sure you've heard. We well, are a little bit what this is about, this podcast. Exactly. Right? <laughs> how, exactly. Do, how, do, how do we do it a little differently than we've done in the past uh, 50, 60 years? Exactly. For better or for worse, who knows? Uh, this is a system we're stuck with. And so what can we do within those constraints? 
and that's to fund and fight for what's right. And so I mentioned that the execs voluntarily cap their pay, and that means we get to invest more, of course, in the employees and our programming for employees and our suppliers, but it also means that we get to give more to all the organizers that are doing work in our communities, Mm. uh, making the world a better place. On average, we give about 30% of our profits every year to philanthropic causes. That is really unheard of. I saw a number of like 8 million in 2022 or something like that. Yes. yes. That's a lot of money. Exactly. Uh, You know, I hear that the conversations that happen in the boardroom are how do we raise more profits so that we can give more away? Like how many of those conversations are happening at other companies, you know, that it, it's versus so how, unique. Versus how, how I can buy a new boat. Exactly. So how do they sort through? Obviously, you know, I, I had uh, Grant Oliphant here and, you know, they got this very large uh, philanthropic business and have to give away a whole bunch of money every year. And you go, you know, that's a lot of money, but at the end of the day, the needs are huge. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you sort through? What's, what's the, how's the company decide where they want to invest and not invest here in the community? Well, we do have a conscious capital team. They are our philanthropic arm. Um, but so many of the organizations that we give to are organizations that various employees have worked with throughout the years. And so if you're just an organization doing good work, some Dr. Bronner's employee will, in San Diego, you'll probably like come in contact with them. And it's natural. If you're doing good work, um, we're all going to be in the same spaces in some fashion and so sort of driven by the employees and where the employees are being engaged and seeing things and they have the opportunity to make suggestions to management on different opportunities. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah. I have part of it, Mm -hmm. you know, programming partners to just employees knowing about organizations in the community that are doing good work. But I mean, we do get a lot of solicitations from various organizations and we have teams that, Sort through it sort all. Sort through it all, right. exactly. Let's say the needs are huge. Yes. The needs are always you know, huge. And we definitely get more requests than we can fulfill. That speaks to how many organizations respect Dr. Bronner's. And our hope is that we can, again, raise more profits so that we can give more. So I'd be kind of curious just to kind of flash back a couple of years. What's it look like working in an organization? Because it's not always kumbaya. Sometimes there's big challenges. Sure. So if we kind of flash back to covid how did, did you guys navigate through that? Because you have a lot of employees. I, I don't know if you guys were considered, uh, you know, you got to keep running or whatever, but w- what did that look like? Yeah. Well, half of our workforce is on the manufacturing line. So they were going in every day. And of course, they had to have all the safety precautions on. And, and that was tough. When we're in a pandemic, Soap and hand sanitizer sell well, which means, of course, there's a lot more pressure on the manufacturing folks. And so business, so, you're one of those cases where business like went <laughs> exactly went way, went way up. It did, but we were seeing people working longer hours. Um, there was definitely some sense of burnout, and we noticed that pretty quickly. And and so we had to put uh, things in place. For example, just higher pay rates for those who were on the manufacturing lines. And of course, the ones who were working remote felt the sense of 
disconnect. And we had to put in extra programming and Zoom calls to get people together. Yeah. So, and you guys, everybody joins. Dr. Brown is going to want to be part of this community. And all of a sudden, it's like, now, now you're at home in your, in your back bedroom, right? It's like you got to lose that whole community that uh, you, the whole business is structured on. So I could see that could be an issue. Yes, exactly. And I'll speak specifically to, you know, again, I work a lot with Green Team. And um, we, again, for Green Team, we invite people from different departments. That's the whole point of the team uh, for cross-departmental collaboration. And one of the feedbacks that we get often every year is that Green Team is a wonderful place to meet people on different teams. And so when the pandemic hit, it meant that we had to... Um, stop in-person meetings. And we lost that element of cross-departmental pollination. Um, There was an even greater divide and, yeah, greater divide between those who worked in person and on the lines versus those who called in remotely. It was definitely more challenging to engage the folks on the manufacturing lines. Uh, They don't have laptops that they work with every day or emails. um, So it was hard for them to join a Zoom call at the last minute. And so what that looks like, we a company like Dr. Bronner's, like many other companies, have had to think about our DEI efforts. And what we realized was that we needed to put in extra efforts to make sure that those on the manufacturing lines could plug into these efforts that we were calling cross-departmental uh, and that meant investing in loaner laptops for these employees right, the so that they can hop on a Zoom call. It meant that we had to find spaces where they could social distance and still hop on a call rather than, you know, before pan- the pandemic, uh, hybrid call meant like everyone gathering in a meeting room um, with one camera and some folks online. And it meant like everyone had to get a laptop and mm. uh, camera uh, and also find a space where they could do that safely. It the company's us- willing to make that investment to go make that happen versus going, oh, this is a scary time. We're not sure how this is going to work out and exactly. you know, not spend the money. This is what we believe in. So, yeah, whatever it takes. Yes. Um, and I, I named that specific example because it doesn't sound shiny. Like there's a lot of technologies out there that you can purchase to to have more glitzy hybrid meetings, but sometimes it's a matter of just spending extra time setting people up in different parts of headquarters so that they can plug in, you know, it's low tech, but it's, it works. Uh, it's important. Yeah. So what's your scenario now in regards to the workforce Are some people still remote? Is it a mixed hybrid sort of scenario or where have you guys landed at this point? Yeah, it's mixed hybrid now. Um, so the office staff, um, it really is up to the different departments. Uh, of course, those who are on the manufacturing lines are in person every day. Be there, right? yeah. um, but there are some teams like my team where we're hybrid in the office some days, working remotely some days, and then some teams are completely remote. So it's a mix. And of course, um, I think like other companies, a lot of uh, the pandemic uh, made us realize like, well, what are some essential things that we need to do in the office or what are some things that we can do at home? Right. And what's the best of the best? Exactly. That's the opportunity to create for us. We realized we could do some things at home. Exactly. But that there are some needs for us all to get together too. Right? Yes, exactly. And of course, uh, the remote setup is good for uh, parents who, you know, juggle a lot of children and, um, 
yeah, I, I think we're headed in a better direction. So um, lots of kumbaya, lots of wonderful things, great place to work. What are some of the challenges? What, what, do you, what's, what makes this hard to do? Well, while it sounds great, um, what do you see being some of the challenges, you know, given, given your role? It's hard to be an activist company um, when the norm is not to be an activist company. One thing I can think of immediately is um, we had to raise our prices on our products very recently in order to make it profitable. And that was tough. And, and also our sales were, um, we're still growing, but it's flatter than what we expected. And so what that has meant that in the last year, we haven't been as philanthropic as we usually are. We've had to cut back a little bit. We're still giving out grants and supporting organizations, but that's tough. I think on the company, like the, I know people at the company were bummed when we couldn't give as much as we wanted. So that's a challenge being an activist organization and company trying to live up to the standards that we've set upon ourselves. And that's kind of an interesting issue though, because at the end of the day, this goes back to, we're still a business exactly. and we still have to make a profit. Yes. And there's certain things have to happen to make all that happen. Yes, we're a platform to go do less, all the great things, but the two are tied together. Yes. They're not like there's A and there's B. It's like it's really it's C, right? That exactly. They have to kind of fit together, and if this is not working so good, then maybe you got to trade left and right to make it all kind of work out. Yeah. I think that's part of the issue that a lot of people have is like, well, if I'm going to do this, then that's going <laughs> to cause problems over here, and not necessarily looking at it as a holistic kind of need. But Exactly. There's always another pathway Right. You can find. What's, what's the win-win? Exactly. And, and just like the challenges. I mean, that's really the whole organization started from a difficult situation. So just like the pandemic starts to tell us, well, wait a minute, this was really bad, but there's some really good things to start to come out of it on how we could operate at a much better level. Yes. Another thing I would bring up, you know, we've been talking about how Dr. Bronner's views our community as our family members. And so when I think about our fair trade supply chains. And um, we, we've invested a lot in recent years around something called regenerative organic agriculture, um, which is idea of healthy soils. The phrase regenerative agriculture is actually unregulated. And there, a lot of people have different ideas about regenerative agriculture and what that means. Um, Dr. Bronner's has a perspective that regenerative organic agriculture is, of course, helping soils and creating healthy soils, but that it's also organic and fair trade. And there's an animal welfare component to all of that. I bring that up because again, that fair trade component means that you have to develop um, long-term relationships. And it hasn't always been easy for Dr. Bronner's to develop a healthy ecosystem on farms that is regenerative. Uh, on average, a farm will need needs to take about like seven years for it to be established as a self-sustaining regenerative farm. And so along that way, you'll have farms that get hit with storms or there are some damages to some of the plots. And the challenge is like sticking with that. And sometimes those farms are not profitable at all. In fact, you're losing money in some years leading up to that seven year mark. I think the challenge is, you know, Dr. Bronner's is committed, but it can be a challenge sometimes uh, sticking through. It's a long-term program exactly. with all those ups and downs. Well, Kevin, um, kind of coming to an end here uh, for the podcast. 
What's the big takeaway? What's what's the message that you know you personally would like to deliver uh, to the audience out here, all our capital conscious capitalist <laughs> folks and be local folks? What what's what's the word you would like to share? What's what's the big idea? The word is love. You know, it sounds so cheesy, and I've dropped that word a few times during this podcast. But my my colleague and I, we we give a lot of talk at conferences on panels, and we've made it a conscious effort now in the last year to drop the word love every time we're invited to speak because getting bold exactly it's cheesy but if you think about it love is really the most radical and practical solution we have for so many of our issues in the world if we can take a humanistic approach to everything that we do wouldn't the world just be a better place right it wasn't about me right our world would look a little bit different well, I want to thank you for coming in today and both sharing your story as well as this fantastic story of Dr. Bronner's. It, it is an amazing story. And right here in San Diego, I mean, we've got one of the premier companies in the world that's doing some really great work. And so thank you very much for coming in and sharing. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. It's an honor to be able to share the story of Dr. Bronner's. Well, that's our show for the day. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe or comment. And most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. Again, special thanks to our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, Be Local, who are all using the influence of business to positively impact our very own community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Lenton from Jailbreak Leadership saying, until next time, go do what you do. Go do what you do best, for we are all counting on.